Scripture this morning is found in Revelation um, 22, 1 to 5. Revelation 22, 1 to 5. <clears throat> and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. What a tree. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. And there shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Amen. Uh, Dean has the sermon for today. Good morning, church. Good to see you. Um, this morning, I would like to review the gospel of our Lord, Jesus Christ. There's so many ways to do this, and in upcoming months, we'll be sharing with you some of the themes that we've learned and been excited about the last month as we've gone to these camp meetings. Been some exciting things and reviewing old themes, but also many new things coming to our consciousness. And we're so grateful that we could be there. Um, be happy to share it with you in the future. The gospel of Jesus has so many aspects. It was just 12 years after the birth of Christ. Was this the time that the 12-year-old boy first realized that he was the Lamb? Just when was it? That day when he spoke in the temple with the theologians of the day and they realized that he was someone very special. They didn't know how to answer his questions and he had insights that they had never heard of. Did he know at that time that he was the lamb that was to be slain? His mother had taught him to read the scriptures, especially Psalms and Isaiah and the books of Moses. He knew all the descriptions of the lamb and the offerings that were to come and that had happened from the children of Israel during their wilderness wanderings to the promised land. Just how old was that boy when he first knew that he was born to be slain? Let us go to the carpenter shop this morning and try to stand beside the carpenter in his late teens and early twenties, but now he certainly knew of his mission and his fate by that time. He had read about himself, imagine that, reading about yourself in the book of Isaiah in the book of Psalms. The cross of Christ is an exhaustless theme. We could study it for a lifetime and never exhaust its meaning. In fact, we will do that in eternity. A preacher could preach a thousand sermons on the cross and barely scratch the surface of its depth. And so he was born so that he could die on a cross outside of Jerusalem. All of us were represented there have you thought of that? The curious passerby, the hardened Roman soldier, agnostic, Nicodemus the Pharisee, the other Pharisees who taunted him, 
John, the son of thunder, who had the explosive disorder? How about Mary of Magdala? She was there. And then how about Jesus' mother? How about the thieves beside him? We were all represented there in some way. The curious passers-by on the road leading out of Jerusalem, today this is just a curious person who takes a peek at the cross, but does not linger to gaze at the Savior. The hardened Roman soldiers who were there, most of them said, well, just another workday for us. Except for the one who, when he witnessed Jesus' words from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, he responded with, truly, this was the Son of God. Nicodemus the Pharisee, he had been thinking about those amazing words said to him at midnight. Remember, he was a theologian of the highest order. Those words said to him at midnight, you must be born again, Nicodemus. Don't you understand this? Where have you been, Nicodemus? How did you miss it? Nicodemus now revealed he was born again by being there, and after Jesus' death, risked his own life and reputation by asking for and receiving the body of his Lord. Today this would be the person who has converted from self-righteous religion to a religion of Jesus only and forever. John, the son of thunder, with that wild temper, but now subdued as he watched the amazing spectacle in front of him, he was the only disciple brave enough to be at the foot of the cross. The other disciples had fled in terror. Then there were those Pharisees taunting him to come down from the cross, saying, If you be the Son of God, come down, and then we'll believe in you. What a temptation Satan was hurling at Jesus. Those men were imbued with satanic fury. One day they will indeed see him coming out of the heavens down to this earth. Then they will know what a terrible, terrible mistake they've made. Let's review those verses. The first one is Revelation 1.7. Since I was young, that verse has intrigued me, where the scriptures tell us that those that persecuted him in and about the cross would see him coming in the clouds of heaven. Revelation 1 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. We have a corollary text in Matthew that would be good for us to review. Matthew 26 64. 26.64 Can you imagine rising out of your dusty bed to hear the trumpet, see the lightning, feel the earthquake, and come up and realize you've been on the wrong side? Can you even imagine that horror? Matthew 26, 64. Jesus saith unto him, meaning Pilate, Thou hast said, Nevertheless I say unto you, 
Hereafter, you, or in the King, King James Version, shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Two promises from Scripture that those who pierced him, those that crucified him, will see him coming. There's a special resurrection there. So those people will die three times, will they not? They died their earthly death. They're going to be raised to see Jesus coming. They'll die at that time at the second coming. They'll be raised again at the third coming. They'll die again. What a legacy. Then we see Mary from Magdala, whose earthly life Jesus saved, who was there to be with him because she could not stand to be without him. And in the process, her eternal life was guaranteed. Then we see Jesus' mother probably weeping uncontrollably at the foot of the cross. She didn't quite understand what was happening. Then we see one thief beside him, born again to salvation, the other thief on the other side, at his death went into everlasting darkness. Yet, yes, we were all represented there at the foot of the cross in one way or another. The curious passerby, just taking a look, but not interested in a relationship with Jesus. The two Pharisees, one born again, the others taunting him, come down from the cross. And if you do that, this great miracle, then we'll believe in you. The hardened soldier bursting forth with, truly, this was the Son of God. The disciple who was not afraid to stand with his Lord, by name of John, Mary of Magdala, great sinner, but Jesus was a greater Savior. The two thieves, one guaranteed for eternal life, the other forever lost. So now we come to the crucifixion. Let us see it for what it really was. In the Roman Empire, crucifixion was reserved, according to history, for the lowest of the low. Romans were not even crucified on the crosses, except for a deserting soldier. It was a penalty left for slaves and other people that the Romans had conquered. How did this former carpenter, traveling preacher, and teacher become the most famous death in all history? Jesus was certainly scourged before he went to the cross. This punishment was so severe that many prisoners died before they even got to the cross. This was a long strap, according to historians. They tell us nine pieces of metal were attached at its end, and the prisoner was beaten on the back, causing intense agony. After this, the prisoner was typically nailed through the wrists and the feet and situated on the cross so that the person was sitting on a sharp spike of wood. So no matter how you moved, it was agony. This unnatural position of the body caused intense pain with each movement. So hanging in the hot sun with raging thirst, every moment of pain was beyond description. Usually it did not take long for the prisoner to die. And that was your savior and mine. What an astonishing way for a religion to start, founded on a man on a cross. The amazing story of the cross has spawned more artist pictures, more books, and more sculptures, and more music than any other story and any other person in history. It was the empty cross and the resurrection of our Lord that separated old Judaism from the new Christianity.
the empty cross, and the resurrection. It spread in the Roman Empire after Jesus' birth in spite of all odds, and now to all countries on this planet. The Romans regarded the cross with loathing. They knew that the Christian religion just could not work if it was connected to a cross. That didn't make sense. After all, the leader of this new religion ended up on a cross. From a human standpoint, that was impossible. This was the lowest of the low, and the leader died. This was a Jewish offshoot, very unsavory to the Romans. The Jews were not popular at the time. The Jews mutilated their bodies with circumcision. They faced starting in Judea with a man from Nazareth. Well, this was just not even tenable. The fact that the central figure of the religion had been put to death on the cross after some claimed he was king, well, that didn't make any sense. It was no less attractive to the Greeks who were in the world, in that world, the civilized ones who sought after wisdom and truth and beauty. That was their specialty. Here came these followers of Jesus claiming God was in Jesus reconciling the world <laughs> unto himself. In other words, God was on the cross. Well, this couldn't be. God couldn't die on a cross. It was disgusting to the Greek to hear of the mangled, crucified Jew was the origin of this new religion. So we begin to get a picture of what the disciples and those early Christians had to deal with in taking the gospel to the then known world. But as far as the Jews were concerned, it was the ultimate insult. The cross and the man who died there could not be the Messiah. The Messiah was supposed to come and take them away from the Roman overseers. They were expecting the Messiah to lead them out from under the Roman dominion. Furthermore, every good Jew knew that a man who hung on a cross was under the curse of God. Oh, yes, he was. He took our curse. So the Jews said, how could he be other than an imposter? He died on a tree. Among the Romans and the Greeks and the Jews... To think of a man dying for his family or his friend, well, that's a possibility, but how about dying for your enemies? Let's go to Scripture again, 1 Corinthians 1. I've often pondered these words, 1 Corinthians 1, 18, 19, 27. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? And then verse 27 but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. You see, it's just the opposite of human wisdom. Just totally opposite. But then the, bruth, the truth began to come out. The curse he bore was our curse, not his curse. This was proven by his resurrection from the dead. So the empty cross became a place of blessing instead of a place of horror. 
You see, we have to see through eternal eyes. We have to see through eyes of eternity. From his birth, his very name, Jesus, meant Yahweh saves. This truth began to spread like wildfire in the then known world and eventually captured the Roman Empire in spite of all their efforts to stamp it out. God was in charge. Many influential Greeks also became Christians. His crucifixion was so special because of who was on the cross. Christians have always believed that God the Father was in Jesus, reconciling the world unto himself. Christians believe that because Scripture tells us that. In 2 Corinthians 5.19, God the Father was in Jesus when he was on the cross. How can we even understand that? Let us go now through the Bible and ask various Bible writers just what is the gospel. The gospel is Jesus and his salvation. We know that. Paul has told us that. Jesus has told us that. But let's get a witness of some of the gospel, some of the gospel writers. David, just what is the gospel, David? For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removed our transcends from us. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. I ask you, does that give you courage this morning? That's in Psalms 103. David, is there anything else for us? Oh yes, David answers, mercy and truth are meant together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other, referring to the cross of Christ. This occurred only one time in history, and that was the cross when Jesus died, Psalms 85. So David brings us to the cross. Isaiah, what do you have to say about the gospel? I will bring the blind by a way that they knew not. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked things straight. That's the gospel. These things will I do unto them and not forsake them. Isaiah 42. I am the Lord and beside me there is no Savior. Isaiah 43. There it is again. Isaiah brings us to the gospel. The Savior died on a tree and was resurrected to go to the throne of God for us. Well, let's ask Jeremiah. Jeremiah, where do you, what do you say about the gospel? Jeremiah says, It is the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. Does that give you courage? They are new every morning. Oh, that's good news. Good news for me anyway, and I think for you. His mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Lamentations 3. There it is again, the gospel. God turns down no sinner who comes to him and asks for forgiveness. His compassion and faithfulness is new every morning. O oh, wonder of wonders. And we have on top of that the verses in Psalms that say when you confess your sins, God says, oh, you're blessed. You're blessed if you do that. Matthew what do, you, what do you have to say about the gospel? You spent three years with Jesus. What did Jesus say? Matthew answers, I remember so many things, but two stand out. Sitting on a mountainside, Jesus was talking to the people. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst 
after righteousness, for they shall be filled. What a promise. Matthew 5. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew 6. There it is, Matthew. There's the gospel. The righteousness of Jesus is the gospel. If we hunger for it and search for it, if we will find it, if we will seek for first above all earthly things, the gospel will be ours. Dr. Luke, what do you say? What is the gospel? Luke writes, And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, Martha, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken from her. For where your treasure is, <laughs> there will your heart be also. Remember the, terrible, the parable of the great pearl of good price. That's taken from Luke 10 and 12. John, what do you say? John, the one with explosive disorder. Whatsoever believeth, whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God sent his Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And he that believeth on the Son hath eternal life. Another promise. How many promises like that do we need? I need about 10,000. I don't know about you, but we certainly have a good one here, don't we? <laughs> Paul, what do you say to the Romans? What is the gospel? Oh, Paul writes these words. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. There's the theme beginning to form here, isn't there? All through Scripture. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. For as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Romans 1. There it is, Paul. There's the gospel. Let's ask the people of Corinth, what is the gospel? Paul writing to the Corinthians. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, Unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. But we preach Christ crucified. There it is. There's the gospel. The gospel and the cross and salvation all in one. 1 Corinthians 1. Let us ask the people at the church of Galatia. Paul, what did you write to them? But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Galatians 6. There it is again, the gospel is Jesus on the cross. Well, Paul, what about the church at Ephesus? What did you say to them? For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Ephesians 1. There it is, the gospel is a gift. In our travels, we come to the church at Philippi, and the peace of God, here's what Paul writes to them, and the peace of God which passes all understanding, all human wisdom, all knowledge, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There it is again. The gospel is peace in our hearts and minds. Jesus said it, my peace I give unto you. We come to the church at Colossae, 
where Paul tells the congregation that the gospel, what the gospel accomplishes. And he says this, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ, Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. That's the throne room of the universe, my friends. And set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Galatians 3. The gospel drives us to seek Jesus. Timothy, what did Paul tell you was the gospel? For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. Everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. The Lord knows those that are his. 1 Timothy 1 and 2. Paul, what did you say to the Hebrews about the gospel? Paul writes, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, now crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man and every woman. Paul, you have said it so plainly and simply. The gospel is Jesus dying for the world of sinners so that they might inherit the eternal kingdom. John, what do you say? You wrote in the, the last book in the Bible. What do you say, John? What do you say to us in earth's last hour? And I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every kindred, tongue, and people. Revelation 16. My friends, the gospel is serious business. For the inhabitants of the earth, it is life or death, eternity or outer darkness. Once we accept the gospel, fear and quaking are gone. We only have peace and happiness. As David said, great peace have they which love thy law. Psalms 119. We obtain that peace of understanding that passes all understanding by accepting the gospel. John, did you have something more to tell us? Yes, I do, Christians in that final day. John wrote these words to us. I counsel to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou may be clothed, and the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with the eye salve that thou mayest see. You see, so many people in history have eyes, but they haven't seen. They have ears, but they haven't heard. May that not be our lot. That we have the gold of the gospel rich in heaven's treasures. That we have white raiment of Christ's righteousness. That we have the eye salve of the Holy Spirit. So that we can see clearly the gospel and then John writes to us further and they shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads meaning his name shall be in their minds it'll be it'll have taken over their minds and their hearts and their emotions Revelation 22 we today are at that cross with those two men known as thieves I love to go to that place in Scripture in my spiritual imagination, my imagination, and, and just go there and watch what's going on. 
We are either the one on the left or the one on the right. We're all. Two choices, the one on the left or the one on the right. For you see, once you have been confronted with the gospel, you can never be the same again. You can't be the same again. You're either rejecting it or you're lunging for it with great joy. Once you have seen the gospel of Jesus, there is no fence sitting. Jesus said, either you are for me or against me. Those are the words of Jesus. The scriptures were written, as we know, over a period of about 1,500 years by men, most of whom did not know each other. And we find harmony from Genesis to Revelation of these themes of Jesus and the gospel. Job knew it, even Job, way back, way back there. John, you had the privilege of writing the last book of the Bible, John. Jesus was speaking to us through you. You were the pen, John, but Jesus was the author. After all the 65 books of the Bible, we come to Revelation. After all the thousands of thoughts and words, what was the final thought Jesus gave to you, John, to give to us? John writes about the gospel. He said, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Revelation twenty-two twenty-one. There it is again, the gospel of Jesus, grace and mercy, long-suffering, goodness and peace. He offers his grace to every one of us. Century ago, a great, great Christian writer wrote these words. Man's maker was made man, that the Lord of the stars might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might be hungry, that the eternal fountain might thirst, that the great light might sleep in that tomb, that the way be tired from the journey, that the truth might be accused by false witness, that the teacher be beaten with whips, that the vine be crowned with thorns. That the creator and foundation of the earth be hung on a tree. That strength might be made weak. That he who had healed so many might be wounded. That life might die. Jesus did die, but he rose again on resurrection morning, and he conquered death so that we can have the assurance of salvation. I want to close with a verse of scripture. And again, when I read these words, I read it with the thought thoroughly embedded in my mind that if the Lord sees fit, to allow me into the eternal kingdom. It's only by his grace that I'll be there. I turn to first, Second Timothy 4, verse 7 and 8. 
these words have always penetrated right through to my very soul. 2 Timothy 4, verse 7 and 8. For I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also, that love is appearing. Amen. Dear Lord, heaven's eternal days before thee, God's own hand shall guide us there. Soon shall close the earthly mission, soon will pass thy pilgrim days. But Lord, this morning we look towards the new Jerusalem, we look toward that heavenly kingdom, the heavenly country. We just can't wait, Lord, to be there with all the loved ones that have passed before us. Lord, help us to keep this day and this week focused on you, focused on the new earth, focused on your coming. May we meet again next week to worship and praise you here. In Jesus' name, amen.